Well, if you've got your Bible, I'll get you to turn back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I uh, want to do something perhaps a little bit different this morning. I guess it's not that different in terms of we're not preaching a sermon, but different in terms of uh, the subject matter. And I thought about doing this on the heels of uh, guess who's coming to dinner we had a couple weeks ago. That was uh, an event in the life of our church, but it was all, uh, not just a one-time event, but an event to, to kind of encourage you to keep inviting people uh, to dinner. And so I, I want to kind of piggyback that and, and discuss something that uh, should be part of the life of a church, but often is not discussed. And that's what I mean by a little bit different. In Romans 12, just to get us going here, let me read you verses 9 down to verse 13. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lack diligence and zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. And just stop there. I, I think you can appreciate uh, as a Christian, but even as me as a minister, pastor of the church, one of my responsibilities is, is to make sure that we are all thinking alike, that we have the right doctrine, we have the right theology, um, that you personally are walking in godliness and holiness and that all of us collectively are living in harmony and unity. There's a lot there, and the Bible speaks to all of that. And sometimes in our church, in this church, we, we, we love theology, we love doctrine, so we ultimately talk a lot about doctrine and theology. Um, I hope you have captured that we are very interested in holiness and godliness and your sanctification. But sometimes uh, we don't talk a whole lot about church life. How, how do we as a church maintain uh, harmony and unity? What are some practical ways to go about that? I mean, when you come to the study of the church, ecclesiology, we, we could talk about its membership, we could talk about its structure, we could talk about its order, but sometimes we, we don't talk about its life, how we live with each other, the relationships, if, if you want to call it. I mean, after all, the church is us. You, you understand that. The church is, is not a building. The church is not a social club. The ch church is not a, a charity. It's not even necessarily a, an organization. It's an organism. We are Christ's body. The church. Uh, we actually probably in this day and time have to define what a church is because most people don't even know what a church is and most people who say they're Christians don't even go to church. But what is the church? Just to kind of back us up and get us into what we're going to talk about. The church is a community of believers, right? The church is a community of Christians where they gather, they assemble to worship the triune God, to evangelize the lost, and mutually love and encourage one another. You can say more, but that's just a few sound bites. In other words, my point at the beginning here is that the church is people. The church is you. We are Christ's body, made up of those who are redeemed. From all walks of life, made up of every tongue, tribe, and nation on the planet. And that's what I love about this church. You look around, and we've got it here. There's, I'm not, not every tongue, tribe, and nation, but there's, there's a good mixture here. How, how do we all get here? I mean, what a great apologetic for the Christian faith that you have all these different tribes, tongues, and nations all gathered together. And they all, and we all, have the common bond of having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. A few weeks ago on a Sunday night, I walked you through Acts 2, some of the marks of a spirit-filled church. And one of the things we saw there in Acts 2, at the birth of the 
church is that the Spirit of God was calling out of the world and gathering himself a people, or as the Old Testament calls it, a segula, a treasured people. In Exodus 19, that's what he said to, to Moses. I've called them out as my special treasured people. And that's what the church is. It's, it's a group of people that have been called out of the world with a common bond and common goal, namely to worship and love the Lord Jesus Christ. But not just that, but to love and serve one another. And sometimes we forget about that. What goes on inside the church? That, that's church life. Again, love for Jesus Christ, love for one another. And that's not easy. That's why when we pray, we're needy people. We need your help. We need the Spirit of God because not just worshiping God is sometimes difficult. Worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ is difficult, but serving one another and loving one another, oh my goodness, we need some real help. And we fall short. But we've got to be reminded that that is the goal. One pastor put it this way, a local church is not built by one man or even a few men, but by every believer being actively involved in ministry through evangelizing the lost people in their lives and serving their fellow Christians. A quick glance at the practice of the New Testament church reveals, now listen to this, the, the, the practice of the New, church, New Testament church reveals that they thought very little about programs and very much about relationships, end quote. You catch that last bit? That was their focus, relationship. And in fact, you go through most of the New Testament letters, after each letter laying down the theology, laying down the doctrines about God and, and salvation and Christ and everything that we need to know, what comes right on the heels of that is what? How to live amongst each other. Relationships. The church broken down at the ground level, is all about relationships. Relationships form church life. Everything we do is done through relationships. Or, you know, the buzzword sometimes is church community, if you like that word better, but the issue is relationships. All those things that a New Testament church is supposed to be doing, all those one another's, the equipping, the encouraging, the exhorting, all that we do is, is, is to equip for you to have a better relationship with one another. You say, well, what are those one another's? Did you know there was 37 one another's in the New Testament? I mean, you might here serve one another, love one another, encourage one another, but, but there's 37 of them. Can I give those to you real quickly? Just to remind you, be devoted to one another, give preference to one another, be of the same mind toward one another, accept one another by withholding judgment, accept one another by showing deference, esteem one another in love, build up one another, counsel one another, serve one another, be gentle with one another, be kind to one another, speak truth to one another, submit to one another, show compassion to one another, Bear with the inherent sinfulness of one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Live in peace with one another. Seek good for one another. Encourage one another to forsake unbelief and hardness of heart. Stimulate one another for spiritual growth. Encourage one another by faithful participation in the local church. Confess your sin to one another. Pray for one another. Be long-suffering and patient toward one another. Be hospitable toward one another, serve one another, act in humility toward one another, show holy affections to one another, participate in the holy walk with one another, refuse to become resentful toward one another, give sacrificially to meet one another's needs, fight, fear together by growing in love, and walk in truth together. That's 37. Those are all the one another's that you find in the New Testament, starting in Romans all the way to 2 John. Count them up. Do your homework. 37 of them. And all of them make it very clear that much of the Christian life is all about relationships. Christians are islands. They don't live on their own. 
And you can't escape that point. You can't read the Bible. I mean, say nothing of the Old Testament, but especially the New Testament. You, you, you can't read the New Testament and come away with this idea that if you're a Christian, that you are to live by yourself. Sure, you live in your relationship to Jesus Christ, but you live in a relationship with your other brothers and sisters in covenant with one another. All the apostles, like I said, from Romans to Second John, all the apostles contribute to that list. That list, I didn't give you the Bible references, but it's, it's everywhere from Romans to Second John. Every apostle, every New Testament writer gets on it, in on it. All of them are very concerned with life in the church. And it all began with the Lord himself because he said, they will know you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. And then that love just manifests in so many directions. If you truly love, you'll encourage. If you, if you truly love, you'll seek out and encourage. If you truly love, and you just go right down the list. It all begins with love. It begins with a love for Christ, yes, but then it flows into a love for one another. And that's really the sum of Christianity. If you want to know what a Christian is, a Christian is, is someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and then loves his neighbor as himself. Love. Now, the question I have here, I know you know all that. The question I have here is, where is the best place to, to do all that? Where's the best place to do the one another's? Where's the best place to, to love one another? And in fact, where's the best place to learn how to love one another and the best place to learn how to love the Lord Jesus Christ? And obviously the answer is the church. The church, we're here. We gather here each week. We even have a midweek meeting in our home groups. And I hope in those home groups, there's relationships are fostered, a little bit more intimate at the home groups than you might capture here on a Sunday. But it's in the church where those relationships are encouraged, where those relationships are built up. But you know just as well as I do that we really don't have meaningful time in building those relationships up on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night if you come back. You come in, or here for an hour and a half service. You might have talked to them before the service. You might have talked to some of those after the service. And usually it's the same people every week. How do we build our relationships up with one another, even outside the church? Where is a better place to do that? Again, we are commanded to love one another. We're commanded to do all those one another's. Where is the best place to do that? Again, the church is a starting point. The midweek meetings is another place. But the Bible actually gives us some help in, in and giving us that answer of where we do that. Now, if you looked at your bulletin, you'll, you'll obviously see the answer. If you didn't, Romans twelve thirteen at the last part of that verse tells us exactly how to do that. And just three words, give yourself to hospitality. That's, that's what I want to talk about. That's on the heels of guess who's coming to dinner where I want to encourage us as a church Show hospitality, to practice hospitality. If we're serious about our relationships with one another, I, I actually believe that's the, one of the best places, if not the best place, to stimulate those relationships and build them up. Now, you might be sitting here, well, what's hospitality? Well, well, we'll get to that. But I don't know if you know this, that hospitality, that, even there in verse 13, that's a command. Now, elders, have, that, to be qualified as an elder, you need to show hospitality. But this isn't to elders. This is to everybody in the church. Show hospitality. In, in fact, five times the command comes up. I don't know if you know that. Five times 
positively, you could say, the command of showing hospitality shows up. You got it there in Romans 12, 13. There's 1 Peter 4, 9. There's Hebrew 13, Hebrews 13, 2, 1 Timothy 3, 2, and 1 Timothy 5, 10. Two times it comes up negatively where don't show hospitality, and that's normally to a false teacher or a false prophet. But on the positive side, in order to build relationships in the church, to have that church life where we are wanting harmony and unity, the best way to develop that is showing hospitality. And where do you show hospitality? You show it in your home. You show it in your home. Alexander Strout, in his wonderful book on the subject of hospitality, He describes it as the missing crown jewel in the church today. He says, quote, hospitality is the sign of a healthy, loving church. He further adds, I don't think most Christians today understand how essential hospitality is to fanning the flames of love and strengthening the Christian family. Hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share our most prized possessions. We share our family, home, finances, food, privacy, and time. Indeed, we share our very lives. So hospitality is always costly. Through the ministry of hospitality, we provide friendship, acceptance, fellowship, refreshment, comfort, and love is one of the richest and deepest ways possible for humans to understand. Unless we open the doors of our homes to one another, the reality of the local church as a close-knit family of loving brothers and sisters is only a theory. He says, A cold, unfriendly church contradicts the gospel message. Yet unfriendliness stands out as one of the most common criticisms people have of a local church. It doesn't take people long to figure out that there is a quote-unquote churchy love amongst Christians that ends at the back door of the sanctuary or in the parking lot. It is a superficial Sunday morning kind of love that is unwilling to venture beyond the walls of the church building. Brotherly love, however, entails intimate relationship, care for one another, knowledge of one another, belonging together, and sharing life together. We cannot know or grow close to our brothers and sisters by meeting for an hour and 15 minutes a week within the church sanctuary. The home, he says is the ideal place in which to build relationships and closeness. You catch that? I think he's absolutely right. You need to know that your home is the ideal place in which to start serving. Now, if you want to be a member of this church, or even if you don't become a member of this church, you have been gifted to serve. We read that at the beginning of Romans 12. You've been baptized in the body of Christ and you've been given gifts and those gifts are given to serve the body. Right? So where's the best place for you to serve the body? What can I suggest? The home? You can invite people into your homes for prayer. You can reach out to new people at church or in your neighborhood, in your homes. You can help believers get to know one another better in your home. You can provide lodging for divided families in your home. You can show appreciation to those who lead and serve the church in your home. You can be the quote-unquote home away from home for some of us who have no family. You can be that older couple seeking to pour your life into a younger couple, helping in them in their marriage, helping them in the raising of their children. I mean, there's so much you can do in your home. All of that to say is that your, your home should be a place where the fragrance of Christ lingers and all those who enter and leave, it has the stain of Christ upon them. It's a place of mutual edification. It's a, mu- a place of mutual encouragement. And we talk about ironing, sharpening iron. Where's there, that, where is that going to happen? That can be in your home. Best, best place to have it. Martin Luther and his wife, Katie, became legendary Legendary for their their home and opening their home and showing their hospitality. Of, Of their home, one historian writes, quote, For the great house was always filled to the brim. Geneva used to pay Calvin in wine barrels and food because of the hospitality he would show. So the home, the home. 
Home is the place to, best place, one of the best places. We can argue about if it's the best place, but it is certainly a, a good place for you to engender relationships. Let me read you Alexander Strachan again. He gives this simple advice. He says, your local church can be a friendly, more loving community if you and others you know consistently open your homes to one another. And really, who knows what will happen when you open your door? Anything can happen, right? You probably couldn't imagine the impact that you would have when you start opening your door, inviting those in the church into your home. Maybe the impact won't be on them, but it'll certainly be on you. But it's going to take some thought. It's going to take some selflessness. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some preparation. I mean, those you invite into your home, it might take some work because they're quiet. Maybe it's because they're ill-mannered. Maybe their kids are unruly. But again, you think of all the good that goes towards you and them that come of it. It could be a sanctifying process for you. You learn more endurance and you'll have more courage to exhort and you might even have more passion to encourage. Yes, hospitality will have to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led exercise, but I guarantee you it's going to be one with tremendous blessing. So the home as a lighthouse, that's, that's where we're going with this. This is what I want you to think about. Home as a lighthouse let me ask you this. Do you see your home as a lighthouse? Do you see your home as a place where you encourage, as a place that you share, a place that you laugh and cry and disciple and counsel, even evangelize? Sure, we preach the gospel here inside the church, and sure, we preach the gospel outside the church on the streets, but can I suggest one of the best places to evangelize is in your home? Some of you know the name Rosario Butterfield. She wrote a book a few years ago called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the whole book is on hospitality, how her and her husband and the church has, has practiced this discipline of opening up their homes to those who aren't saved in order to evangelize them. Hence the title, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And, and this isn't anything new. Michael Green in his classic book, Evangelism in the Early Church, he writes, quote, The enthusiasm to evangelize which marked the early Christians is one of the most remarkable things in the history of religions. Here were men and women of every rank and station in life of every country in the known world so convinced that they had discovered the riddle of the universe, so sure of the one true God whom they had come to know that nothing must stand in the ways of their passing on this good news to others. Now, you might say, fantastic. Oh, we want to be just like them. But what Green adds that we need to learn is this. In the early expansion of Christianity, here it is, listen, hospitality played a key role. First, the home was a natural grassroots base for spreading the gospel message. But secondly, hospitality provided indispensable help to traveling evangelists and teachers. And Green sums up his argument by saying, one of the most important methods of spreading the Gospels in antiquity, antiquity was by the use of homes, end quote. The home was a lighthouse. So how, how, do, we, how do we think about this then? The command is there, show hospitality, we, we can see that in the early church, the home was a, a great base to show hospitality, give encouragement to the saints, to evangelize the lost. I mean, here we are in 2023. Are we going to say anything's different? We all have homes. Well, just real quickly, let me break this down for you. And as I said, there's five commands, and we're just going to look at three of them. And we're going to talk about what it means to show hospitality. Just give you some things to think about, to encourage you to do just that. So we're going to talk about pursuing hospitality, 
planning hospitality and practicing hospitality. There's a lot we could discuss with this, but I, I think we can co cover it all in those three points, all right? So if you're taking notes, that's where we're going to look at now. Pursuing hospitality, planning hospitality, and practicing hospitality. Now, the first one, Romans 12, as you can see there, we'll call that pursuing hospitality. Pursuing hospitality, because that's what the Christian Standard Bible writes, right? Verse 13, pursue hospitality. Now, if you have the New King James, I think you might have something like give to hospitality. New American Standard has practice hospitality. But pursuing hospitality actually gets right to the Greek. And by the way, you'll notice it's, the, it's at the end of a sentence that goes all the way back to where? Well, actually, you could say it goes all the way back up to verse 9, but it even goes further back to verse 7. It's all part of the one and others, right? It's all part of these short series of imperatives that describes what church life looks like. I mean, back in verse nine, you said, "Let love." Back in verse nine, he says, "Let love." Right? That's the theme. Let love be without hypocrisy. Verse ten: Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And love again is the connection. And everything else, all these other commands, flow right out of those two. From verse 10 down to verse 13, it all comes out of love. So it starts with love, but then we ask, well, what does love look like? And so there's your answer. One commentator suggested a, a caption over verses 9 to 13 calling it love in action. And I like that. Because we can be theoretical about love, and we've, we've done that before. We can say that love is this and love is that by way of uh, definition. But what does it look like in description? What does it look like in action? Well, here it is. These are the, the marks of love. Now, obviously, when we get to the point of hospitality, it, it won't happen unless there's love. Got it? Unless there's love, there's a genuine love for one another, you will never do hospitality, much less any of these other things. You need to get that point right away. Love and hospitality always go together. In, in other words, you show me a loving church, I'll show you what? A hospitable church. You catch that? You show me a loving church, I'll show you a hospitable church. Because that's where love is nurtured, where love is grown. Where love is developed. So the question comes, how do we show love for one another? The answer is what? By giving ourselves to hospitality. By pursuing hospitality. Again, if you have the Christian Standard Bible, it reads pursuing. Pursuing hospitality. That's, that's actually the best translation. So that, I think last week I told you the CV, CSB lost out on the others, but on this one it wins. Pursuing hospitality. Or, or you could say strive for hospitality. That, that's kind of the idea as well. But literally, Paul tells us here to pursue hospitality. And the idea, I mean, you can hear it in the word, the idea is to do it with vigor, to do it with effort, even enthusiasm. Pursue it. Pursue it. Do it. Do it with with effort, do it with with enthusiasm, do it with vigor, and do it with what? Love. One commentator actually translated it, be eager to show hospitality. Be eager to show hospitality. And look, the reason why I'm bringing this up, as I said, is just to ask ourselves, are we doing it? And some of you are. In fact, let me say, many of you are, are doing that. We want to make sure everyone is doing that. And for those who are doing that, we say, well done, and we want you to excel still more. This word pursue, if you look it up in a concordance, it's the same word that's attached to righteousness. We pursue righteousness, right? We pursue good, we pursue peace, we pursue love. And, and would you believe another word connected to pursuing is hospitality? Pursue hospitality. Do it eagerly, do it vigorously, and do it enthusiastically. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that 
we are to think about it, we are to plan for it, we are to prepare for it, we are to pr- pray for it, and we are to then what? Pursue it. Hospitality is, is a thoughtful process. Because one, you invite people over, but then inviting them over, you've got to what? Prepare a meal. You might even have to clean the house. <laughs> God forbid. But then be thoughtful when they come over of how the, the night's going to go, the conversations you're going to have. I always say in, in, in Hebrews 10 there where it says, you know, stimulate one another up in love and good deeds. And I always say, you know, that takes some thought. You, you, I mean, if you're going to stimulate someone in love and good deeds, you need to know that person. You know how to stimulate them. And that means it's going to be thoughtful in what you ask, what you say. The same way here. Hospitality is going to take some thought. It's going to take some planning. It's going to take some praying. But you must pursue it. And again, this isn't just for elders, not just for deacons. This is for all of us. The, the Lutheran commentator Lenski writes, and I like this, as for the hospitality, pursue it. Hospitality is literally to be chased after as one hunts an animal and delights to carrying the booty home. How's that for a word picture? I mean, he's trying to pull out the meaning of the word. You're a, you're, you're a hospitality hunter, basically is what he's saying. Hospitality is to be hunted down and captured. So let me ask you this. Would this characterize us? Are we, St. John's Park Baptist Church, are we hunters of hospitality? Do we eagerly pursue opportunities to practice hospitality? Or is that something we only do on holidays and during special events? Paul says here what? Pursue it. Seek it is another way to describe it. And do it eagerly, vigorously, enthusiastically. One author illustrates the enthusiasm and passion for hospitality by saying this. The hound is given to the fox and the cheetah to the gazelle in the sense that each is utterly devoted to the chase, concentrating all of his strength and speed on a single object. Thus, when Paul says given to hospitality, he does not mean perhaps you should be open to the possibility of being hospitable. No, don't refuse it if you are asked. As Paul would say, may it never be. The virtue of hospitality is far from being passive. We had better go after it. Chase it down and not stop until we have wrestled it to the ground, end quote. When was the last time you heard a sermon on hospitality? When was the last time you read a book or an article on hospitality? I mean, this, this might be brand new to you, but it's there. This is why I want to discuss it. So, are we hospitality hunters? Are we pursuing hospitality eagerly? That's the first point. Let's move on to a second point. And, and with this one, I want you to turn to Hebrews 13.2. Hebrews 13.2. And immediately you'll notice the, the same line of thinking as Romans 12, starting at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. There it is. It is not going to happen without what? Love. Let brotherly love continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. There it is. Love and hospitality, they always go together. But here he says, do not neglect to show hospitality. Again, it's a command. Don't neglect. In other words, you should be showing hospitality. Literally, the Greek reads, of the hospitality, be not forgetful. Let me say that again. Of the hospitality, be not forgetful. That's how we get do not neglect. Here you have a a present imperative with the negative, which means stop. Stop what? Stop an attitude or an action that's actually in progress. And what was that action in progress? You were forgetting. You were forgetting to show hospitality, and I got to come along and say, stop forgetting and remember to show hospitality. You got that? I mean, tied to the book of Hebrews, they were forgetting everything, right? But a means of grace to encourage one another, to, to, to tell each other to press on, to look to Christ, 
Show hospitality. Sure, do not neglect the assembling of the saints to gathering on a Sunday, but also don't neglect what? Showing hospitality. These are all the means of grace for us as a church to grow together. Grow in our relationship with Christ, but grow in our relationship with one another. Does that make sense? Now, by the way, the Greek word for hospitality here is everywhere else you see it is philo exenia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Sorry, Demetria. Philo exenia. It's a compound word. You hear philo, which we get the word love, and the last part, xenia, is where we get strangers. Literally, hospitality means a love of strangers, but over time it just got translated as hospitality because it just not included strangers, but also people who we know. The brethren. Hence verse 1, right? The cultivation of love. Starting with verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. The cultivation of love is going to occur through, verse 2, hospitality. You see the connection? As one commentator put it on this verse, hospitality is the answer to a direct appeal. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. How? Don't neglect showing hospitality. Hospitality is the means by which love, brotherly love, continues. Again, Alexander Strauch, and he, his little book is phenomenal, and, and much of this is, is, um, is, is where I got stimulated from. But Alexander Strauch says this, If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, we will want to invite them into our homes. We will want them to fill our homes. The presence of Christian brothers and sisters in our homes is a foretaste of a glorious heavenly dwelling place that will be filled with people, angels, and the perfect host, our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the joy of Christian hospitality, it is easy to neglect hospitality during times of spiritual stress and apathy. Neglect, however, listen, neglect, however, is a sure sign of slacking love. Hospitality may be costly and intrusive, but that is what Christian brotherly and sisterly love demands. Thus, the Spirit of God warns us not to neglect the practice of hospitality, end quote. So not only pursue hospitality, but now here's our second point. What? Plan hospitality. Plan hospitality. He says, do not neglect. Don't forget and, of course, behind that is the idea of what? Forgetfulness. Which means, on the flip side, you've got to do it with some thought. Thoughtfulness. In fact, thoughtfulness is continued in the next verse. What does he say in the next verse? Remember those who are in where? Prison. So as you're thinking about the prisoners, the thought process began with what? Showing love to your brothers and sisters by planning hospitality. Now, notice too, just to go back up to verse 3, or verse 2 rather, he, he strengthens the command to show hospitality by adding what? I love this. For by this, what's this? Hospitality. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. What's that about? Well, you, you can say to these, and remember, we, we're going to get back into Hebrews in a couple of weeks, by the way, if you're wondering. But you know enough about Hebrews that these are, uh, about the book of Hebrews, that these are Jewish Christians. And so when they hear that, they, they would have been reminded of what? Genesis 18, Genesis 19, even Judges 6 and 18, where they're getting visits by angels, but most of the time it's the angel of the Lord. Remember that? Abraham and Sarah entertained the Lord and his angels. Lot is received, receives the angels. Gideon receives the angel of the Lord. The parents of Samson uh, are greeted by the angel of the Lord. So it could be just regular old angels, but a number of these places is the angel of the Lord, which we've discussed as the pre-incarnate Christ. So you put it all together. What he's saying is that 
when you open up your home and you show hospitality, you're actually, listen to this, you're actually receiving Christ into your home. Right? I mean, on that day, Matthew 25, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting when Jesus lines up the sheep over here and the goats over here, the distinguishing mark between the two is that the sheep over here gave him a cup of water. That's what he says in Matthew 25. Oh, you did all that stuff. Fantastic. Come on. No. You, sh- you, you showed up when I needed a cup of water because I was thirsty. You showed up when I was hungry and you gave me food. You showed up when I needed some clothing and you gave me clothes. When did we do that? You did that when you opened up your home and showed hospitality and gave my people drink, food, and clothes. Did you catch that? Remember he said, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. What does is, what is least of them mean? Uh, I... I to the to those who probably wouldn't do it. We normally have, we show hospitality, but you normally show it hospitality to the people we like, to our friends. But, you know, and there's some people in here that rub us wrong. There's some people that, oh, those are the least of them. If I, uh, how many times have I said, in this church, you don't have to be best friends with everybody, but you have to be friends with everybody because we're all in covenant with one another. So you need to show hospitality, pursue it, plan it to everyone in this church. Everyone. You're to treat every guest as an honored guest. You're to treat every guest as an angel of the Lord, as the Lord himself, in fact. And I can't impress upon you enough that that's going to take thoughtfulness and planning. So plan hospitality. Plan hospitality. Now, one final command. Not just pursuing. Not just planning. But let's talk about practicing. Go over to 1 Peter. Let's go to another hospitality command. And this is in 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 9. Starting with verse 7. The end of all the things is near. Therefore, he says, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, here it is, maintain constant love for one another since what? Love, there's the connection again, covers a multitude of sins. And what's the next thing he says? Be hospitable toward one another without complaining. Again, hopefully you're getting it. The connection between loving one another and hospitality. And what's the context here? You go all the way back up to verse 7. Verse 7 is following the statements there of the final judgment in verses 5 to 6. So the end is near. All things are near, he says. Therefore, therefore what? The end is near, therefore... Here's some consequences. Here's some consequences how you are, you are to, leave, to, to live. Number one, be alert and sober for prayer. Verse 7, live in sacrificial love that includes hospitality. Verses 8 and 9. And then we can throw in verse 10, use your gifts to serve and help one another. That's number three. Now, by the way, verse 8. What does he say here? Have constant or you might in your translation have fervent love for one another. And that sounds kind of emotional. Like, you know, it's, got a, it's a love that warms you up before you show it. That's, that's why the, the Christian Standard Bible wins on this one as well. Have a constant love. Constant means that it's continuous. It, it doesn't drop out because you don't feel it. One commentator suggested that it's the picture of taunt muscles of strenuous and sustained effort like an athlete. 
In other words, there's a, there's a toughness of love that's about you. We don't go in and out of love. We, we love no matter what. And as we talked about, love is, is irregardless of feelings. It's nice when the feelings are there, but love is there really because you're loyal to that person. That's the issue. There's a loyalty there. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, the sickness and health you love. So it's a love that endures. It's a love that's constant. It's not a love that's flimsy. It's not a love that's fickle. It's not a love that's ephemeral. And then he says what? Have constant love for one another. And then right on the heels of that is be hospitable. There's Again, you, you can't be hospitable unless you start with love. And what Peter's saying is maintain a genuine love for the brethren by being hospitable. You could put it that way. You say you're struggling with love towards one another? Be hospitable. Being hospitable is, in a sense, the means by maintaining a, a consistent love with one another. Guarantee you, whatever feeling you had, it's going to be out the door as soon as they walk in the, in the door. Do you see that? You see that hospitality is the means? By practicing hospitality, you will show love for one another. I'll tell you this, without hospitality, your love's going to grow cold. Your, your love's going to grow or, or it's going to lose its toughness. So the point is we, we need hospitality. And then I love what Peter adds to this. Notice he says, do it with what? Without complaining. Do it without grumbling. Do it without murmuring. Listen, murmuring and love, antithetical, right? You'll never show hospitality genuinely with love if you find yourself grumbling. Complaining doesn't promote love. In fact, can I say, the more you grumble, the more you complain, the more you're going to not love, and the result of that is you're going to be disharmonious, showing disunity, divisive. So a way to prevent a divisive church, a way to prevent disharmony is showing hospitality because what, what drives, as it were, the, the unity and harmony is love. How do we show love? How do we get there to the point where there's harmony and unity in this place? The means is hospitality. That, that's how I see it. I hope you see it too. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love bears, love covers, love protects. So just remember that if you start complaining. So practice hospitality. First, understand that you need to pursue it. Second, you need to, to plan it. And then ultimately you need to do it, which is practicing it. What is Peter saying here? He's saying a New Testament church living in the end times will be marked by a constant love for one another that will be manifested by cheerful hospitality. That's how you could interpret that verse. So putting it all together... If we're going to be a loving church, if we're going to be a hospitable church because a loving church is a hospitable church, that's going to be seen in, in the life of this church and it's going to be seen by pursuing it eagerly, planning it thoughtfully, and practicing it willingly. Can I say that again? Pursuing it eagerly, planning it thoughtfully, and practicing it willingly. Let me just close with this quote. The writer says, Christian hospitality is not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of money. It is not a matter of age, social standing, gender, or personality. Christian hospitality is a matter of obedience to God, end quote. And maybe that's a good place to end. Home is a lighthouse. Is your home a lighthouse? I trust it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of it, because all scripture is inspired. And some things we read and we pass by and don't 
chew over, and I trust, Lord, in this time. We just talked about something quite practical in the in the life of our church of showing hospitality hospitality to one another that and just skimming the surface at that that we've we've understood the importance of it. That we understand that we are commanded to love one another. We're also commanded to with that show hospitality to one another. And that doesn't mean that we have to do it every week or every couple of weeks, but it needs to be a pattern of our lives that do have homes. Some of us don't have homes, and maybe there's ways of showing hospitality elsewhere. But may the Spirit of God be with us now, convicting us if necessary, encouraging us to, to, to excel even more because there are folks here who are showing hospitality. But we do want to be a loving church. We want a church that is unified, unified in doctrine, unified in our love for you, unified in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, but also unified in our love for one another. I want this place to be a place of harmony and, and a place of rest. We know that the world is a, a restless place. There might be restless homes that we're coming out of, restless families and restless workplaces. And just like Pilgrim's Progress, where there was a, a house beautiful to come to where they can get some respite, where heaven comes down. Lord, we want to engender that. We want to, to engender that this place is, is, is heaven on earth. As much as we can be. And we thank you for the commands that tell us how to get there. May hospitality be one that we take seriously, where we pursue it, that we plan it, and then ultimately practice it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.